If you turn to start out to Romans chapter 8, you can be sure we won't stay there. Who here thinks they're naturally a patient person? I had one up here. Nancy was the other one, yeah. Anybody run out of patience this last week? Oh, this is for everybody then, isn't it? It's interesting, we are becoming a society with no patience for anything. And it's not helping us, is it? You can pay for next day delivery. Don't even have to wait for it. You can pay extra not to wait in line at amusement parks. Some of you have done that. Get your pass to go to the front of the line. You can make uh, apps. There's apps for your phone so you don't have to wait for tables in restaurants anymore. You're all saying, yeah, I've got one of those. They'll live stream your TV shows to your phone so you don't even have to be home. Interesting studies show now if a video takes more than five or six seconds to come up on the Internet, more than 50% of people won't wait. And I'm sure none of you are in that category. Our society's not helping us with patience. Some of you have seen this sign. <clears throat> and that's somewhat how we go about this sometimes. Thinking this is a quick fix and it's not. Occasionally over the last two years we've been talking about being disciples. We are disciples. But we want to figure out what proves we're disciples of Jesus Christ, that we are followers, that we are students, that we are those who represent him. And John 15:8 told us one of the ways is that you bear much fruit and prove to be his disciples. And so we're talking about, have been at various times, how do we know we're bearing much fruit and how do we do it? And we know one of the, way, one of the main ways from Galatians chapter 5 is to display the fruit of the Spirit. That's one of the main ways disciples display much fruit. But to do that, we've got to make some decisions. And you're in Romans 8, starting with verse 4. It says, In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then verse 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Galatians 5 told us these same phrases, that we need to walk according to the Spirit, live according to the Spirit, set the mind on the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. Unless we're in partnership with the Holy Spirit, focusing on Him, listening and obeying Him, we will never display the fruit of the Spirit. When we pay attention to Him and obey Him, then we display this fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we know from Galatians 5, this fruit is given to us mainly to serve other people, to be disciples. It's not just for us personally to have. 
So we've been looking at different aspects of this at various times, and even though you understand these are not fruits, plural, of the Spirit, this is a package deal. It's a fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit works, these are the characteristics of that fruit. But we have to break it down so we kind of understand what are we looking for? What should it look like in our lives if the Holy Spirit is working and we're showing the fruit of the Spirit? So we've gone through three. We started with love. You know, it's that Greek word agape. And in the New Testament, when it uses a noun, it's always referring to God's unconditional love. Love is our basis for serving. Love is the one that includes all of the other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, according to 1 Corinthians 13. We love lots of things. But our natural love means we're going to love what's best for us. We're going to love what we like. We're going to love what benefits us the most. That's our natural way to love. When it's of the Spirit, it's going to be unnatural. In that, it's going to project God's love because we'll choose what's best for God and for others no matter what the cost is to us. That's how we know it's of the Spirit and not of us. We'll show this love with joy if it's of the Spirit. The word is just a word for calm delight. It has to do with our reaction to difficulties because we know we'll have difficulties when we serve people. But when it's of the Holy Spirit, when I serve, I'll do it with a positive attitude, with pleasure, with delight. I will enjoy serving others. That's how I know it's of the Spirit. Thirdly, I'll be at peace. That word peace is a word for inner, outer quietness. The inner quietness is with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6 again in Romans 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. That's inner quietness. And when I'm practicing that, I'll have outer quietness. That will be my response to people. I will desire to be at peace with people. I will work to make peace with people. I will work to help other people have peace with each other. That's how I know it's of the Spirit. And now we're due patience. Go back to James chapter 5. You might want to stick something in James because we'll be back and forth to this a number of times. What does the word patience mean? And I'm going to put a word in your mind that's a, for those of you who grew up with the King James Version, there's a good word that we use for patience, and it's probably better than this word patience. And remember, remember the word long-suffering? Remember that King, good King James word, long-suffering? It's really a better word for what we're talking about this morning. But in James 5, verse 7, see how many times the word patience is in this, this passage. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, takes the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So what does patient means? Well, the first word is from long-suffering long. That's our word waits. The farmer waits for something. 
It has something to do with waiting. It has something to do with length of time. In verse 11, our exa- one of our examples here is Job, right? How long did Job have to wait through what he was going through? And we don't know exactly, but we know at least it was a few months, maybe even longer than that, that Job went through what he was going through. It was longer than he thought it should be. Secondly, it involves suffering. Long-suffering. Verse 10 talks about the prophets. We know the Old Testament prophets all suffered at the hands of those they ministered to. The people they ministered to were the ones who caused them problems. Does that sound familiar? Did Job suffer anything? In one day, he loses seven sons, three daughters, all of his wealth. He has boils from head to toe for months. He's repulsive to his wife. Children despised him. His friends despised him. What's that got to do with patience? In the midst of all that, Job had an attitude that reflects that the Holy Spirit is working when you're going through some difficulties. And he said this, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's the attitude that goes with patience in long-suffering. Now there's a third idea in this word translated patience in our translation. And of course it's hard going from one, version, one translation to another, one language to another, and you don't always get all the nuances. And there's a third aspect of this we have to understand. And this word also has the idea of endurance. That's why in verse 10 and 11 you saw the word steadfast and steadfastness that was there. It's not just the idea of just staying in place. It's the idea of pressing forward, of keep moving. Remember what Job said when he was going through all this. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He remained steadfast. What attitude did his wife want him to have? Curse God and die. Just stop and give up, Job. Well, when you're patient, you don't stop and you don't give up. And Job couldn't do that and remain steadfast. So keep these words in mind. We'll come back to them. Let's talk about the magnitude of it. Who do we have to be patient with? And before we answer this question, I want you to do one thing for me. Who's the one person you have the toughest time being patient with? Don't say the name out loud. Probably sitting right next to you. You got a name in mind? or a type of person, or a group of people. And we're thinking, surely God can't expect us to be patient with them, right? First Thessalonians 5.14, be patient with them. What's the next word? Boy, I hate that word. You understand this is a pattern through all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit? That there are no exceptions to this? We're supposed to love our neighbor and our enemy. That's pretty much all. They're going to be one of those two categories. We're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. We're supposed to live peacefully with all. Do you understand the Holy Spirit's going to expect us to put these principles in play with everybody we come in contact with? It also says in verse 7 here of James 5, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. How long do we have to practice this? 
That's also the magnitude of it. This never stops that we have to work at this. Turn back to Second Peter 3, or to your right. Or on your phone, you're impatient, so you can just hit the button and it goes right to it. I want to remind you what our motivation for this is. Why should we care about patience? Because a lot of cases, we don't care about it. We want what we want when we want it. And it starts with an example. Our basis for patience in 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. How patient has God been with us? Some of you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. How patient is God being with you? But you understand the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is to reflect God's character to others. That's why this example of His patience to us is so important. We're to show His love to others. We're to show His joy. We're to show His peace. We're to show His patience. That's why it's of the Spirit that we're showing this. And we should be motivated because He gives us the energy to do this also. Colossians 1.11, Paul prays this for the church at Colossae. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. Notice how the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit all go together. This is not something we can do ourselves. I asked you at the beginning, how many of you are naturally patient and didn't have too many hands? And so sometimes we think, well, this is not possible. We're just not patient people. And the idea is, and on ourselves, no. With God's help, He gives us the power to be patient. It has to be of Him and not of us. Or it won't happen. But in spite of that, my guess is some of you are already thinking about somebody you don't have to be patient with. You think, I don't have to be patient with this person because of certain conditions they've shown me. Because we don't understand some things about patience. We think, I can't keep showing patience to that person because if I do, they get away with what they're doing. They won't suffer for what they're doing. They'll have to just keep doing it over and over again and they'll never be called into account for it. So I'm not having patience with them because they have to suffer for what they're doing. Well, patience doesn't eliminate any consequences in their life. On the screen, Exodus 34 describes the Lord's patience. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children of the third and fourth generation. Does our patience take away their consequences? The answer is no, but it's not my job to bring in their consequences. It's God's. They will reap what they sow. 
But it's not my job to say, well, I can't be patient because if I do, they won't get their consequences. That's not my concern. That's God's. Or secondly, somebody, you're thinking of somebody and you're saying, I was patient with that person and they didn't even appreciate it. They took it for granted. They took for granted what I did. And so I'm not being patient with them anymore. But I'm going to remind you, as, as with all the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit, every bit of this can be taken advantage of. You will be disappointed in other people because just because you show the fruit of the Spirit to them doesn't mean they'll respond in kind. It happens to God's patience. Why should we be surprised if it happens to ours? Romans 2, 4 says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Do you presume? Do you take for granted His kindness? And all of us are going to say what? Yeah, we do. And His patience. We take advantage of that too. So don't be disappointed when others take advantage and don't appreciate that your patience with them. You're not doing it so they'll show appreciation. You're doing it because the Holy Spirit wants you to do it. Look over to 1 Peter 3. You're close to it. I will remind you third, that patience does have a limit. I probably better should say may have a limit. It may have a limit to it. There are some times when patience does have to stop. It's usually a lot farther than what we think it is. But here in 1 Peter 3, in verse 20, the example is the time of Noah. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. How long was God's patience during the time of Noah? 120 years. Noah had 120 years to preach And God was patient while Noah was preaching and building the ark. But when the 120 years was up, the flood came. Some of you who haven't accepted Christ as Savior think, i got plenty of time. You don't know when the limit's up. In many cases, God's patience does have a limit. And sometimes in our cases, the patience may have a limit. But it's going to be longer than what we think. But let's get to what this looks like. What are the methods the Holy Spirit will use in us with this aspect of the fruit of the Spirit? What will the Holy, the Holy Spirit help us to do? But I want you to think again first. What situations with people do you have the toughest time being patient with? Got that in your mind? Situations with people or people. I don't care which way you do it. Because you have to make direct application this morning because this is supposed to go to all. First thing the Holy Spirit will remind us is that patience doesn't stop. It goes long. Even though we just saw in 1 Peter 3.20 there was a limit, 120 years is a pretty long time, isn't it? Our patience with people will always go much longer than what we think. We are not to stop trying to show patience to them with the help of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. 
Well, how much, how often was Timothy supposed to show complete patience? In season and out of season. It would just go season to season. You don't stop because you think time's up. Next season comes, you keep being patient. It's going to go longer than you want. Church at Corinth was a real test for Paul. But he says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works, and here for the third time I'm ready to come to you. Paul been there twice showing patience. He's going to come a third time and show patience. Why? Because patience is long-suffering, which starts with long. And the Holy Spirit will say, it's going to keep going longer than you want. Just keep being patient. But we know our second part of the definition, isn't it? The idea of suffering. And here it's the idea of deferring something. Go back to James chapter 1. I thought you'd be back in the book of James. What you're going to have to defer or put off is something your flesh wants to do when you deal with people. That's going to cause you suffering more than other people cause you suffering. Because in the New Testament, this word patience is connected heavily with two ideas. The first idea is this. The Holy Spirit, when you're working with people, will make you deal with your anger biblically. Now you mean working with people might make you angry? No, never, right? And when you're focused on the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, the first thing he's going to say is, you have to deal with your anger. You're in James 1. Again, doesn't use the word patience, but it kind of defines it for us. Verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's patience. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Anger does not bear much fruit. Then he goes on to say, be doers of the word. We're told in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and sin not, right? Well, how do you not do that? The Holy Spirit will say, you need to deal with your anger biblically. You need to get rid of your anger and work patiently with this person. Now, some of you are thinking, I don't get angry, I just get ticked off. (laughs) You can use whatever word you want, but it's anger. And it doesn't produce the righteousness God wants. That's why we have so many verses in the Old Testament and Proverbs dealing with anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. That's why the the Holy Spirit will say, get rid of anger. Or in Ecclesiastes, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, don't leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. We lose our patience with people because we let our anger control us and therefore we let things blow out of proportion. Some of you have more than anger problems than other people do and you say, how do I deal with them? Psalm 37 gives you a key. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Stop right there. That's what we've already looked at. Walking in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit, live according to the Spirit. That's that first phrase. Be still before the Lord, wait patiently for Him. Focus on what the Spirit will tell you through His Word. 
And when he's doing that, here's what he's going to tell you. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. You can't show the fruit of the Spirit and be angry. If you start getting angry, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And so when you're listening to the Spirit, He will say, deal with your anger first. Don't let it control what you're doing or you will not show patience. You'll stop serving that person. Again, we'll be back to James. We'll go back to Matthew 18. Because Matthew 18 has the second thing patience is tied to in the New Testament. And it's tied to dispensing mercy. If you're patient, you will always show mercy to the other person. And what's mercy? Mercy is we do something wrong and we don't get what we deserve, right? We sang some songs about that this morning. That that Jesus Christ showed us mercy by taking our penalty for sin. We deserved it. He took it. So in mercy, we didn't get what we deserve. That's the idea here. And because we've been shown mercy, what are we supposed to do? Not give other people what we think they deserve because they're out of line. Verse 21 of Matthew 18, Peter comes up and says to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? In Luke 17, Jesus said, if somebody sins against you seven times in a day, you're to forgive them. So Jesus says to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Somebody have 70 times seven. The idea is you don't keep count. You just keep forgiving. And then he gives an example. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents, a completely unpayable debt. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children all he had and payment to be made. That's what the culture did at that time. You're put in a debtor's prison. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii or a hundred days wages, very payable. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Heard that before, didn't we? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's other ramifications of this parable we could discuss, but the idea here is this. If you're showing patience, you must give mercy. Go back to James 5. You've got something stuck in there. So we don't give people what we think we deserve. We don't lower the boom on them. We don't let them have it. 
We don't tell other people, can you believe what this person did? I'm going to tell you what he did because they don't deserve me to hold back from telling everybody else what they were like. Why would I bring that up? Look at James 5.9. In the middle of patience, he says this, don't grumble against one another, brothers. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And that's why verse 11 says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. What's the purpose of patience? How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. If you're listening to the Spirit, walking the Spirit, He will lead you when you're working with other people and serving people, because that's what the fruit of the Spirit is for, to serve people. He'll tell you, number one, you deal with your anger. Biblically, you can't let your anger go. And number two, you must dispense mercy. Because I've been merciful with you. Now, it doesn't stop there. We have our third word. And the third word is drive. That's the idea of endurance. That's the idea of pressing forward. We tend to think of patience as passive, right? That we just sit there and wait. This idea of patience in Scripture is not passive. It's active. Look back at Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. If I'm imitating those who showed patience to me from Scripture, what's my purpose? So I'm not sluggish. So I don't stop. We tend to think patience is just stop and do nothing. That's not what it is. It's active doing the right things in the midst of challenges with people. That was our idea in James when he said, establish your hearts and be steadfast in James 5. That's what he's talking about. You determine no matter what, I'm going to keep doing what I need to do for that person. So the Holy Spirit will say you tell you this in Colossians 3. Put on then, that's an active thing, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. Or Ephesians 4, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Patience means I keep working with them. I don't just sit back and wait. Interesting, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 12, where Paul says he's coming for the third time, and he did it with utmost utmost patience, here's what he said, here for the third time I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. You understand that's what patience with people is for? That you're trying to do what's best for their souls? Not what's best for me. Keep working on what will be best for them. 
Here's 1 Thessalonians 5. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Does patient mean just sit back and watch them? No, it means admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, don't repay evil for evil, seek to do good. You see the concept of it? We have the wrong idea of patience. We think it's just sitting back and doing nothing. No, it's not. It's with God's help moving forward to do what He wants us to do in the lives of people. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Back to your left. I want to remind you again of the importance of this aspect of the fruit. Why is showing patience with people, with God's help, so important? And this goes back to a motivation we looked at, why we even do this. Verse 16, here's what Paul says, But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Did you see that? Why does God show patience with me and want me to show his patience with others so I can be an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, so I can be examples to others, so I can make disciples? And we're talking about discipling? What's the job of a disciple? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When others see your patience, or really God's patience to you, does it direct them to who God is and how patient God will be with them? Interesting, I'll read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul did this with Timothy. He says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me. And verse 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul knew the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit were to help him make disciples by example and by effort. Who do you need to start showing more patience with? What name came to your mind this morning that the Holy Spirit said, here's yours for today? What are you going to do? You're going to walk with me, live according to me, focus on me, and with my help, show patience and do it over the long haul and defer your anger and show mercy and drive to do those things that are best for them. And in so doing, you're going to bear much fruit and prove that you're his disciples. What's your proof going to be today? Let's pray. God, the Holy Spirit, we talk to you this morning. You are our helper. You are our teacher. You are the one who convicts us of sin. You're the one who's brought names to our mind this morning. 
And you're the one I hope we do not ignore as you apply what we just studied to us. Help us to show patience. To do what's best for others and not what's best for us. Help us to listen to you and reflect your character to those that you give us opportunity to minister. We're thankful for your help. Amen.